Hello and welcome to Z3 News. I'm James Bailey and today is Wednesday, December 12th, 2018. Today's topic is Satan's five favorite lies about the Jewish people. And the way I got started on this was listening to so many Christian, quote-unquote, Christian voices out there claiming that the Jewish people are no longer God's people and God's done with them and they don't stop there but they are launching daily constant attacks against anyone who supports modern-day Israel. Now these Christians are clever in their attacks because they would never come out and say that they're against the Jewish people. They're just against modern Israel and the Jewish people taking possession of that land. And so they come out against what they call Zionism, which is the move to uh, have the Jewish people in possession of the land of their forefathers, the land of Judea and Samaria, and especially the city of Jerusalem. And you know, the Bible warns repeatedly about deception in the last days when the disciples asked Jesus to tell them about the signs of his coming. He repeatedly talked about false prophets. And that's not just referring to the gift of prophecy, but false teachers, liars, deceivers. And one of the greatest, most central parts of God's end-time plans from the scriptures, regardless of what anyone thinks about it, from the scriptures, Israel and Jerusalem are at the very center of his plans for these last days. Jesus is not coming back to New York or London or Rome. He's coming back to Jerusalem. And so people marvel at how this little tiny land and this little tiny people group, it's only about 15 million Jewish people in the whole world. You could fit them all. It's smaller than the population of Florida. But yet the whole world seems to be obsessed with hating them and whatever news is going on around this little stretch of land, this little stretch of barren land. And people look at this and scratch their head and they wonder, who cares? Why is everyone so concerned about Israel? Why don't we hear about the Congo in Africa or other parts of the world? You know, we don't hear about those places, but yet Israel is daily making international news headlines. And it's because of what's happening behind the scenes in the unseen realm, the realm of the spirit. And when we see the scriptures telling us of God's plans and telling us of Satan's schemes for these last days, then we can begin to understand why there is a spiritual war centered right there. And no coincidence that God brought salvation to the whole world through the Jewish people in the land of Israel. It's been central all throughout history, and it's going to be central all the way until the end. And so if you want to avoid being swept up in the deception that's coming, 
you know, Isaiah talked about gross darkness is going to cover the earth. And then we have another warning from the Apostle Paul, where he's telling there's going to come, before the Lord returns, a great falling away from the faith. And he describes it as people paying attention to deceitful spirits, doctrines of demons. And so we have to be aware of the schemes of the evil one to deceive us. There are doctrines of demons. There are deceitful spirits. These are lying spirits. And we're being bombarded with these lies on a regular basis. And now Satan knows that we keep our guards up around certain sources and we tune them out and he can't reach us through them. And so what he does and what he's always done throughout history is he tries to speak through our most trusted sources, our own Christian leaders. And what I see happening is Christian voices are spreading lies about Israel, about the Jewish people, and they give some lame reason to back it up. And rather than dig into the scriptures to check it out, the majority of people just nod their head and say, oh, all right, I guess that's the way it is. And if you're not careful, many Christians are going to find themselves fighting for the wrong team. And because Israel is such a central part of God's end-time plans, it's so important as Christians to get on the right side of this issue and to be aware of the lies, to be aware of the schemes of the devil so that we are not uh, fighting against God. And so this requires us to know the scriptures. That's our defense. So that if we know the scriptures, if we know the truth, then when the lies come, we can immediately recognize it. And so I've been amazed over these past few years as, you know, now we have such access to information and a bombardment of all the Christian voices you want. You can just get on the internet and find whatever you want. But I've been amazed at seeing these constant attacks against Israel and against the Jewish people. And of course, they never claim to be against the Jewish people. They claim to be against the Zionists who promote the Jewish people living in the land of their forefathers. But yet, in actuality, they are very subtly and very deceptively coming against the Jewish people, discrediting God's plans, and causing confusion where people are aligning themselves against God's people, against God's end-time plans, and they're actually taking sides with the enemy. And so this has bothered me, and I wanted to just really dig into this topic and really see from the scriptures. Let me know myself. Let me see it myself. What does the Bible say about the Jewish people, about God's plans for them? And as I dug into it, I was amazed at how crystal clear this topic is. It's repeated multiple times. I found 44 scriptural proofs 
that God is not done with the Jewish people. And I'm talking about the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I know that's going to rile some people up. And I can just hear them in their minds saying, yeah, but, yeah, but this, whatever. I'm talking about the scriptures. I'm talking about 44 scriptural proofs that those people, those very people, the flesh and blood descendants, I'm not talking about spiritual Israel right now. I'm talking about flesh and blood Israel. Now, in this particular podcast, I'm going to focus on Satan's five favorite lies against the Jewish people. I'm not going to get into all those 44 scriptural proofs, but I am going to do a follow-up podcast where I'm not, I'm not going to be able to share all of them in the podcast, but I'll pick out some of them, and then I'll, I'll provide a link to a uh, uh, file where you can download and study them further if you want to see them all. But another reason I got started digging into this is a couple years back I'd had a dream. I think it's been about three years ago. I had a dream that showed me the end-time plans that God has for his people and I mean his Christian people. I'm talking now his people in the spiritual sense, the born-again believers. And it was a powerful dream. And as I sought God about it, I, was try- I wrote it up. And I was trying to understand what God wanted me to do with this. And I was surprised that in my prayer time, I felt like God was showing me to go and study the scriptures on Israel. And I was surprised because... There was nothing about Israel in the dream. It was all about the church. So I'm thinking, what does that have to do with that? But what he was showing me was that Israel, as revealed in the scriptures, and his plans for Israel, as revealed in the scriptures, reveals his plans for the church. Because all throughout history, and even today, and all the way until the time of the end, there are parallels between his plans for the Jewish people and his plans for the Christian people. And I want to share briefly one of my favorite, all-time favorite prophecies because it's already come to pass, it's already done in completion, is this prophecy by Rabbi Judah ben Samuel, which he gave back in the year 1217, so about 800 years ago. And I like this, and I'm sharing it here because I think it's a great example of showing how Israel is directly tied in with our future of those who followed the Messiah, Jesus Christ, because Rabbi Judah ben Samuel was shown the start date, the starting event for the Messianic end times is when the Jewish nation, the Jewish people, take possession of, of Jerusalem and so as a Christian we're all interested in knowing when is our Savior going to return he's promised to come back and here we have this amazing prophecy which as I said it's already been fulfilled because what he was telling us is a time is going to come when the Ottoman Empire conquers Jerusalem and he said they're going to reign rule over Jerusalem for eight jubilees, which is 400 years. That's already happened. It's been fulfilled. 
it, it came to pass exactly 300 years after the rabbi received the prophecy. So he received it in 1217, but in 1517, the Ottomans conquered Jerusalem. And just as he said, they ruled over it for 400 years, eight jubilees. They lost possession when the British drove them out in 1917. Now, another interesting parallel is in the year 1517, when the Ottomans took Jerusalem, a Catholic priest living in Germany discovered from the scriptures, from his own study of the scriptures, which were at the time only available in Latin, so hardly anyone had access to the scriptures, but he studied and found that they were contrary to the teachings of the Catholic Church, and he posted a list of 95 points, his 95 theses, challenging the authority of the Pope and the Catholic Church by exposing their false teachings, their unscriptural teachings, and that was a declaration of war. And so you see at the exact same time that you have this major shift going on in Jerusalem with the Ottomans taking possession, you have this major shift, the start of the Protestant Reformation in the church. And the next part of Rabbi Judah ben Samuel's prophecy, he saw that afterwards, when the Ottomans are driven out, Jerusalem would become a no-man's land for one jubilee, which is 50 years. And that's exactly what happened in the year 1967. So you have 50 years from 1917 to 1967. Jerusalem came into the possession of the Jewish people. And this is the event that he said would signify the beginning of the Messianic end time. So there you see Israel, the events in Israel as markers, letting us know the time, the messianic end times have started. And that is huge because Jesus told us in Matthew 24 that the generation that sees these things coming to pass will not all pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So that's why this prophecy of Rabbi Judah ben Samuel is so important to me. I like the fact that everything he said would happen already happened. It's already been fulfilled. And I share that because I just want to point out that if we want to be aligned with God, it's important that we be aligned with the most central part of his plans for these last days. And if we want to stay aligned with him, we have to understand what he says about these things. And that's why I want to cover these five, Satan's five favorite lies about the Jewish people. And you'll notice that when these attacks are launched, often against the Jewish people, the people who are attacking will say, oh, now I'm not against the Jewish people. I'm just against the Zionists, and it's very clever because what they're doing is giving themselves permission to attack the Jewish people. And so one of the 
One of the five favorite lies is to say that God is done with them because they're unrighteous. You know, they have homosexual parades in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is one of the world's best-known centers for homosexuality. They have a huge homosexual population there. And that's just one example, but there's all sorts of examples that they point to of the unrighteousness of the Jewish people. And they say, well, therefore, surely God is, is not going to be fighting in behalf of these people. So I'm going to go through the scriptures and show that that's not true on each of these points. So the second one is they say the Jewish people are not truly Jews because they're only children of the flesh. And the Bible has various scriptures where it talks about, you know, the true Jews are children of the Spirit. And that's, that's true. But I'm not talking about spiritual Jews here. I'm talking about those children of the flesh. And this is an area of so much confusion because the Bible talks about both the children of the flesh and the children of the Spirit. And we have to understand the context. And if you just read the passage and look at the context of it, it's clear when it's talking about the spiritual children of God and when it's talking about the children of the flesh, it makes that clear. And a third lie that I hear often is they'll say, well, those Jewish people living in Israel today those are not even Jews because they're not from the tribe of Judah and I'm gonna explain that there's scriptures clearly proving that that's not true and the fourth point is they say the Jewish people it doesn't matter about them today because the Bible says there's neither Jew nor Greek I'm gonna go through that and then the final point is they say the Jewish people today are the synagogue of Satan that Jesus talked about in Revelation. That's not true either. So I'm going to go through these points one by one, and let's begin with the first one where the claim is made that God is done with the Jewish people because they are unrighteous. And when it comes to this topic of Zionism, the attackers will point to all sorts of examples of how the Zionists are evil people making up evil schemes that hurt lots of people and they're exactly right that's the truth there are lots of evil people advancing this Zionist cause in fact Satan himself has his eyes on Jerusalem because his plan he wants to exalt himself as it says in Isaiah he says I will ascend to heaven I will raise my throne above the stars of God I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will make myself like the Most High Satan wants to rule from Mount Zion he's seen that God has established his plans to rule from Jerusalem and so Satan wants to put himself in place of God and he wants to occupy that place and this is the scheme of Satan that's revealed by the prophet Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 and we see there in Daniel 9 26 
the angel Gabriel explains to Daniel that there is coming the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the sanctuary. Now, Gabriel was not talking about the first temple because it had already been destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar by this time because Daniel was already living in Babylon. The Jewish people were already living in exile from their land. So he's talking about another temple, the second temple, which was built after they returned to their land. And he's letting Daniel know this temple, this second temple, is going to be destroyed. And he gives him a very important clue because he tells him the, the scheme of the enemy all the way through to the end by telling him the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And so today we have the benefit of hindsight to know that that prophecy was fulfilled in 70 AD when Roman armies destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem. And so therefore we know the Romans are the people to watch. That's a humongous important clue. And Gabriel reveals to Daniel the people of the prince who is to come. They're the ones who did this. So now he's, he's giving us another prophecy of one who is to come later who will be connected back to these same people who destroyed the temple and the sanctuary. And I've heard all sorts of confusion on this topic where people will say, well, it's not really the Romans because they had some people fighting within their ranks that were from Syria and blah, blah, blah. It was the Romans. This is a historical fact. The Romans, the Romans, it's always been about the Romans and you can study it throughout history and I've been doing this, but the Romans were the ones that sieged Jerusalem, that carried the spoils back to Rome and built the Arch of Triumph as a celebration of their victory over Jerusalem. And so these are the people that we need to watch. These are the people that if you study history throughout the centuries consistently, it's these people, the Romans, who have persecuted the Jewish people, exiled them, repeatedly attacked them, and forced them to deny their faith, tried to separate them from any uh, past history connection to their God and their faith. And then when Jesus Christ came and Christians came along, it was those same Roman people. And you can study it all throughout history. You can go on Wikipedia and read all day long about it. These Roman people have destroyed the people of God throughout history. And so this has been the scheme of Satan from the beginning throughout the centuries and it should be no surprise that it's going to continue until the end as he says the people of the prince who is to come this prince who is to come will come with the full backing of Rome and that's why today we see these prophecies there are many people who are seeing the Pope is the one who will play the role of the false prophet propping up their front man, the Antichrist.
And so there you have the full backing of Rome behind this man of sin, this coming prince. Now, if you really want to have your mind blown, which I've been having my mind blown a lot lately, thank God, because I needed it, is I'm learning about the connection between the history of the United States and the history of Rome's influence over our nation. And it is really amazing that this is happening and has been happening throughout our history. And it has been suppressed. It has been buried. It has been removed from our history books. Even though many of our founding fathers warned about it, we haven't heard about it. I mean, I went to school. I graduated from high school. I went to college. I went to graduate school. I took classes in history. History was one of my favorite topics. I took lots of classes in American history. And I walk around just scratching my head in amazement like, what the heck? All those years, I have never heard this stuff before. But yet, it's been there all along. And so getting back to Daniel chapter 9 in verse 26, Gabriel makes a reference to the end. He says, even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. So repeatedly throughout Gabriel's explanation to Daniel, he makes references to the end. He's referring to the time of the end, and he's letting us know the schemes of the evil one that Satan has tried so hard to keep his schemes hidden. He operates under cover of darkness. But here we have Gabriel exposing him to the light so that we can see and we can make the connection that at the time of the end, this one, this prince who is to come, is going to make a firm covenant with the many. He's going to make a covenant with the people of Israel because it's going to enable them to begin to make sacrifices and grain offerings again, which means they're going to have a place. They're going to be able to restore their Old Testament traditions of offering sacrifices in the temple. So this is an amazing prophecy because in the one verse he's telling us the second temple is destroyed. In the very next verse he's talking about Another temple, another place is going to be provided where they're going to be able to have their grain offerings and sacrifices renewed again. And so there must be a third temple, a place for that to happen. And so I'm bringing this up because those who attack the Jewish people today, those who attack the Zionists, claiming that they're unrighteous, I'm conceding the point. Yes, they are evil. In fact, Satan, this, is, this passage in Daniel is telling us that Satan himself has his eyes on Jerusalem. Satan has his eyes on uh, building the temple, deceiving the Jewish people into rebuilding the temple, thinking that they're doing it for their own use so that they can uh, reinstitute their own practices of the past when all along the scheme of Satan is to break his covenant, as it says in the same verse, that in the middle of the week, see it's a seven-year covenant, a, a week of, of years, seven years, in the middle of the week, so after 42 months, three and a half years, 
he's going to break his covenant and he's going to put a stop to sacrifice and offerings and he's going to say thank you guys very much for building this beautiful temple and I will now take it for my own self and I will rule and establish my throne here in the temple and I will be God on Mount Zion and I will rule over the earth from here as the Almighty God. And this is what Daniel, Gabriel explained to Daniel, this is the extreme abomination. This is the peak climax moment of all sins. We've just been ramping up and now we're ramping up at an accelerated pace, but this is the climax moment of sin upon the earth, the most blasphemous, the most abominable thing that man does in his 6,000 years of human history. And this is the trigger point from which all hell begins to break loose as the wrath of God is poured out on this unrepentant generation. And that's why Gabriel said that these abominations, these extreme abominations of this one who is to come, will make desolate, even until complete destruction. One that has been decreed, it's going to be poured out on this one who makes desolate. This act of abomination is going to bring God's wrath upon the world, and especially upon this one. But my point is, here you have the Antichrist himself promoting a deal to enable the Jewish people to build their temple. Now that's the ultimate act of Zionism. That's a great example, I think, of how evil the Zionist movement can be. Satan himself, the Antichrist himself, is behind it. And so this gets tricky because here we have God's plans centering on Jerusalem, and here we have Satan's schemes centering on Jerusalem. Here we have evil people promoting Zionism. You have the Rothschild family. You have all sorts of evil scheming going on, and people who have no regard for human life. In fact, many of these financial elite, there's evidence that a lot of them are satanic, Satan worshipers. These are bad folks, but a lot of them are some of the biggest supporters of Zionism. And so do we conclude that all of this is evil and we should not support the restoration of Israel, the occupation of the land by the Jewish people and especially the city of Jerusalem? No, not at all, because that's God's plan. And God is so much greater than Satan that he's able to use Satan to accomplish even his own purposes. Just consider what happened when God sent his son into the world. God knew ahead of time that Satan would have his people murder Jesus crucify him on the cross. So there you have an example where God used Satan to accomplish his purpose because Satan made the biggest mistake he's ever made. 
And it even tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.8 that if Satan would have known what he was doing, he would never have crucified the Lord Jesus because it broke his power over death. Jesus took from him the keys of life and death that had been handed over to Satan when Adam and Eve bowed their knee and obeyed the serpent. And so for all that time, Satan had dominion. He had legal rights to planet Earth, to rule over it. But Satan lost that by his mistake of killing Jesus. And he wouldn't do it again if he had the chance. That's what it says in the scriptures. But God knew he would. And so God, being so much greater and so much further ahead of Satan in his ability to see and know what's happening that he tricked Satan into falling into the trap of killing Jesus. And so the point is we have to know what God has said he's going to do and if God's plans are being fulfilled even if they're being fulfilled through satanic people it doesn't really matter because we can be on board with God and we don't want to take sides against God just because these people are unrighteous. And this is a humongous point that's been used against the Jewish people throughout history, justifying murdering them in mass numbers because they are unrighteous. They are the ones who crucified the Lord, even though it was the Roman soldiers who carried out the execution. It was the Jewish people who shouted, Crucify him! His blood shall be on us and on our children. That's Matthew 27, 17 through 26. Throughout history, the enemies of the Jewish people have used that as an excuse to discredit them, to prove that God's finished with them, and it's still happening today. You can go to a brand new broadcast today. I'm sure someone will be doing it because it's every day. It's a relentless barrage of attacks. And this is their number one favorite justification for God being done with these people. And it's just not true because God's plans for the Jewish people have nothing to do with their righteousness. And that is very good news for them because if it was, they'd be in big trouble. But his plans are not based on them, and he tells us repeatedly in scriptures. His plans are based on his faithfulness, on his love for them, and it's for his own name's sake that he demonstrates his faithfulness to them, and it's for the sake of his promises to their fathers, because God wants everyone throughout the world, all the nations, to know that he is God. He is faithful to his promises, and he is able to fulfill his promises faithfully, as he said he would, and promised that he would through a thousand generations, in a way that only God can do, and only God would do, and only a loving God would do. And that's what God desires for people to hear and to know, and to marvel, and to see how contrary he is to the ways of this world because in the world you would say away with them be done with them they don't deserve it they deserve death 
Absolutely. But then you have God and his heart filled with compassion for these people. And he tells us repeatedly through the scriptures, this is what it's all about to him. This is a revelation of who he is to the world so that the world would see who is this God who could possibly care for these people. Look what they've done. Look what they did to his son. Look what they've done to his prophets. Look what they're doing today. Look at their unrighteousness in so many areas. And yet God says, these are the people whom I have chosen. And God has a plan to bring salvation to a remnant of these people. And it's an amazing thing because I found this prophecy that Moses gave to the people of Israel before they entered the land. They were just about to enter the land, the promised land. They'd been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses by this time already knew he wasn't going to be allowed to enter the land, but yet God gave him this most amazing prophecy telling the people, these people, these Jewish people, these people who came out of bondage in Egypt, those are the ones, okay, those people who wandered in the wilderness. Moses said to them, you are going to go into the land. You're going to take possession. You're going to drive out the inhabitants. God's going to give you victory. God's going to prosper you. God's going to multiply you and cause you to be fruitful in the land. And after you've ruled in the land and after you've secured the land, the time is going to come where you're going to turn away from God. You're going to turn and follow after false gods. You're going to worship idols. And when you do, you're going to lose the land and you're going to be driven out. But God wants you to know ahead of time. And he lets them know ahead of time, despite all they've done to turn away from him, even after they've lost everything, he gives them hope. He gives them encouragement. He gives them a promise for their future. See, God was not caught off guard. He was not surprised by their failure. He saw these things coming long before they happened. It didn't surprise him. He, he knew about their unrighteousness. He knew what they were going to do. But even then he had a plan. And his plan said, after all their suffering that they endured, that in the last day, that's what it literally says, the last day, the end of days, at that time, those who are the survivors of Israel, they're going to turn back to the Lord with all their heart. And they're going to listen to his voice. And he's letting them know that their children are going to come back to him. This is his plan. This was his plan from the beginning. This was his plan before they ever entered the promised land. And he tells them, the reason is because you have a God who's a compassionate God. And he says, your God is not going to fail you or destroy you or forget the promises that he's made to your fathers. And he goes on to tell them the whole point is, has anyone ever known of a God like that? Surely anyone else would have long given up on them. Surely God had every reason to, but he's 
That's the whole point. He's revealing his compassion. He's revealing his great love and his faithfulness. He's revealing his character. He wants the world to look and see. Who is this? Who is like this God? There is no one. And you can read this prophecy that Moses gave in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And he tells them in verse 37, it's because of his love for their fathers that he has chosen their descendants after them and has done these great things, bringing them out of Egypt by his great power and driving out these nations that occupied their land who were much stronger and greater than they were. But yet he brought them into the land and all these things he's done because of his faithfulness had nothing to do with them. In fact, he counted on, he told them ahead of time, you're going to mess this whole thing up. But my plans are bigger than your failures. It's bigger than your unrighteousness. And I am not a God who gives up on his people, but promises even to a thousand generations to remember my promises to your fathers. And because of that, a thousand generations, that's longer than the span of human history. Even if you said a generation was only 20 years, that's 20,000 years. We only have 6,000 years of man's dominion on the earth. It's more than enough. It's never going to end. We'll never come to the end of his faithfulness. That's just one scripture passage. I have a long list of them. Like I said, I, I have 44 scriptural proofs that God's not done with these people, these flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And just another example, because I want to point this out, that God did not choose the greatest or the mightiest. Look at the place that he chose for the land a desolate, barren strip of land, this place called Zion, which refers to the land of Israel. The word Zion means a parched, dry, thirsty place. Now who in their right mind would want that kind of land? That's the kind of place that you'd want to avoid at all costs. But yet this is the place that God chose, the unlovely, the unwanted, the despised, the least valued. He purposely chose this place of all the most beautiful places on the planet, of all the beautiful mountains and valleys and waterfalls and forests and beautiful places on earth that he could have chosen. He chooses this barren little strip of land and says, this is my land. This is where I will bring forth my great plans of salvation for the world. And for Zion's sake, his heart, his eyes, his attention, his love is drawn to this place called Zion. What, <laughs> what in the world? It doesn't even hardly make sense. The land of Israel is smaller than the state of New Jersey. It's tiny. And they don't even occupy all of it. 
and the land is 55% of it is barren desert, virtually uninhabitable. And yet we have this scripture in Zechariah 8 2. He says, I am exceedingly zealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I'm zealous for her. And so this is the whole point is it's not about the land. If it was about the land, there's nothing about the land to, to, to want. It's not lovely. So it's not about the land. You know, I believe God wants us to see beyond this barren wasteland and ask, you know, why is the whole world so focused on that? It doesn't even make sense, right? Why is Satan so focused on that? And all of the people that he's got riled up, the, the wrath of the world, the hatred of the whole world directed at tiny Israel. And that's the whole point. I believe God wants us to be able to see beyond this land and recognize there's something else going on. He wants us to see him, and he wants us to see his character through what his plans are revealing to the whole world. What God is after has nothing to do with the land. It's all about the heart-to-heart the -heart relationship with the people. And in this barren, dry, thirsty place called Zion, he's looking for a people who thirst for him, who are not satisfied by anything this world has to offer, because we've, we've found out there's nothing in this world that satisfies our thirst, that we must have him. And that's why he says his eyes search throughout the whole earth, searching for those whose heart is completely his. That's what he's after. And so God has chosen this place to reveal himself in the hopes that the people of the world would see beyond the place and see him and see his heart and see his plans and see all that he is doing throughout history to reveal who he is to this lost world, this blinded world who cannot see him. And in the same way, he's chosen these people, the Jewish people. He could have chosen people great in numbers. He chose this tiny group of people. They've always been a very small number, but that's the people he chose. And the scriptures tell us flat out the reason why he chose them. He says, the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you're more in number than any of the peoples, for you're the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you, because the Lord loved you, and kept the oath, the promise which he swore to your forefathers. That's why he brought you out by a mighty hand, redeemed you from slavery in the house of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, because he wants you to know that he is God, he is the faithful God who keeps his promises, and he keeps his loving kindness to a thousandth generation to those who love him and keep his commandments. And so what we see here is Satan, his scheme against the Jewish people is always to make it all about them. Make it all about them, all about the land. And God is shifting the focus 
and saying, no, it never was about them. It doesn't really matter whether they mess up or don't mess up because I knew about it ahead of time and I told them in advance that before they ever turn away from me that they're going to do it. But my plan is bigger than their failure and in the end, I will redeem a remnant of Israel. I will redeem the children of those who turn their backs on me. I will redeem a remnant of those flesh and blood descendants. That is my plan, and it will not be moved because it was never based on them. And I'm telling you, as I began to study these scriptures, it starts to, it starts to impact you because you start to see the heart of God. You start to see his love and his compassion and what really motivates him and why he's been doing these things throughout history and how foolish it is for us to think that he's been caught off guard, his plan has been derailed, those that he thought were his people are no longer his people because it didn't go according to the way he wanted, because they rebelled, because they crucified the Lord, whatever, that they're now disqualified, that they're no longer anything to do with his plans. Nothing could be further from the truth. They are front and center. Watch what God will do in these last days. Watch what God will do in Israel. Watch what he'll do through these Jewish people. Regardless of their failures, their shortcomings, God is going to win a remnant. He's going to save some of the children of Israel. He's going to come back and he's going to fight in their behalf. And that's why repeatedly throughout the scriptures, you see God telling them in advance, he knows ahead of time, you're going to screw up. You're going to be exiled from your land. But let me tell you, 150 years before Nebuchadnezzar exiled them into Babylon and destroyed their temple, before they ever lost their land, he had Hosea telling them, in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. God was encouraging them beforehand. And that's totally contrary to what these voices are now telling us, that he's done with them. They're disqualified. They blew it. They did all of these bad things. Repeatedly, you see examples like this. That's Hosea 1.10. He's telling them, there's hope for you. You haven't totally blown it. Yes, you paid dearly. You've suffered terribly. You've been exiled. You lost your land. Horrible things have happened that were never the will of God. But look how God told them ahead of time. There's hope for you. You're going to return to me. You're in the place where it was said, you're not my people. It will be said, you are the sons of the living God. And he did the same thing through the prophet Jeremiah. Before they were exiled into Babylon, he had already shown Jeremiah. It was already recorded. Jeremiah had already written what God revealed, that their time of exile would be 70 years. 
again, he's, he's saying, you've blown it, but there's hope for you. It's not over. It's only going to be for 70 years, and I'm going to restore you back to your land. And Daniel, when he was in the land of Babylon, was able to calculate the time of their return because he knew it would be 70 years. And so what I'd like to ask these people who are claiming the Jewish people are now disqualified because of their unrighteous, why weren't they disqualified when they were exiled the first time? How come, how come God didn't give up on them then? God did not give up on them after they were exiled the first time, and he has not changed. He has not given up on them after they were exiled the second time. Okay, so now I'm going to move on to point number two. I took a long time on that one, but these others are much, much shorter. Lie number two of Satan's five favorite lies is that the Jewish people are not God's people because today there's neither Jew nor Greek. Now, they're quoting that from Galatians 3, 26 through 29 and Colossians 3, 9 through 11. And if you look at those passages, that's a total misrepresentation of what those passages are talking about because those passages are talking about the sons of God who are walking in faith in Jesus Christ. It's not talking about the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who have rejected Jesus Christ. These are two different groups. And that's what we have to see, you know, constantly throughout the scriptures. We have to sort out the difference between physical Israel in the natural realm and spiritual Israel, which is those who are in Jesus Christ. There's the true Jews according to the Spirit, those who have been grafted in through Jesus Christ, and then there's those who are just of the flesh. They're just flesh and blood descendants. That, that does not mean they're saved. They're not going to heaven. The only way to heaven is, like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's why he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. There's a spiritual birth on the inside that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And so these two passages are all clearly all about those who are walking in faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, verse 26 in Galatians 3, it starts, it says, For you, he's talking to the believers, it's written to the church of the Galatians, right? These are believers. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? It's pretty specific. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Now, for those people, he's saying, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, right? So, so he's talking about Christians. We are one. The two groups become one. It doesn't matter anymore. Once you come to God, whether you're Jew or Gentile, we become one new man in Christ Jesus. And amazingly, 
we are grafted in. Those who belong to Christ, verse 29, says we become, we are Abraham's descendants. And the passage in Colossians is very similar. And again, it's in the context it says, but Christ is all in all. He's talking about there's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither circumcised nor uncircumcised. None of those things matter anymore because we become joined together as one group of believers in Christ. Now, separately, if you're talking about those who are not in Christ, it does make a difference whether you're a Jew or a Gentile because of God's choice when he chose to bring salvation to the world through the Jewish people. And so it matters. God chose the Jewish people to bring salvation. They're held to a whole different level of accountability because to whomever much is given, much is required. And God has given much to them that other people in other places have not had. And so that matters. That affects everything in their relationship with God. So flesh and blood does make a difference. Their Jewish heritage does matter because their forefathers were the heirs to the promises of God. And God has promised to remember because of his loving kindness to them. And so, yes, it does make a difference. They're the ones who were there that day when Moses prophesied. You know, the church wasn't there. These are the people that have been there all along. They went through Egypt. They went through the wilderness. They went into the promised land. They were exiled. They were scattered throughout the earth. And they've suffered terrible things, but God has not forgotten them. And so there is a distinction between Jew and Gentile outside of Christ. Neither one of them are born again, but yet there is a distinction made because of what has been given to the Jewish people. All right, so let's move on to lie number three in Satan's five favorite lies, and that is that the Jewish people, they're not God's people because they're only children of the flesh. Okay, and that again gets into the confusion between the difference between spiritual Jews and natural physical Jews. Okay, so true, they're not born again. They're not on their way to heaven unless they are spiritual Jews, unless they have received Jesus Christ because he is the only way to salvation. But to say that God has nothing to do with them because they're children of the flesh, that's just not true. And so there are passages of Scripture that clearly identify the difference between a true spiritual Jew and a flesh and blood natural physical Jew. And that's where this argument comes from. And in Romans 9, 6 through 8, Paul says, They're not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they're Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, your descendants will be named. And that is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. He's talking about spiritual, born-again children of God. They're the only ones that are truly in the spirit, in the realm of eternity. They're the only ones that are truly considered spiritual children of God. 
because there is no other way than the way of salvation that he has made through his son his only son Jesus Christ but you know the scriptures tell us that the natural mind you cannot understand spiritual things with the natural mind but it has to be revealed in the spiritual realm God has to reveal it and he only reveals it to those who humble themselves before him and repent of their sins and commit themselves to follow him and then the veil is lifted and they can see but there's confusion on this topic just like when the Jewish leader Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus tried to explain it to him the concept that you must be born again and Nicodemus had no idea what he's talking about because it's a spiritual concept he's saying how can a man enter again into his mother's womb well that's not what Jesus is talking about and so that's where a lot of this confusion comes in people find a passage talking about spiritual Jews and say this disqualifies and proves that God's done with the Jewish people today and therefore we can align ourselves against Israel against the Jewish people and justify it according to the scriptures that's a total misinterpretation of the scriptures okay so the fourth lie that I've heard is Jewish people are not God's people because they're not from the tribe of Judah and they say those people living in the land of Israel they're not even Jews because they're not from Judah and only Judah are the Jews well that's easily proven to be a lie based on the scriptures because Paul who's from the tribe of Benjamin refers to himself as a Jew and Paul specifically mentioned that his heritage from the tribe of Benjamin and referring to himself as a Jew in Acts 22 verse 3 and Romans 11 verse 1 and if being from the tribe of Benjamin qualifies as being Jewish then all the tribes qualify as being Jewish there's nowhere in scripture that it tells us that only Judah is Jewish that's that's a lie it's used all the time to justify turning against the inhabitants of modern Israel doesn't matter they're not Jews anyway they shouldn't be there they have no right to the land blah 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 wrong now they're basing this argument on the idea that the Jewish people had been divided in the past there was two separate kingdoms and Judah divided from the other tribes but it was not a permanent division the prophet Jeremiah saw that in the last days the house of Judah is going to come together and walk side by side with the house of Israel in the land God gave to their fathers and that's Jeremiah 3 verse 17 and 18 and today we're seeing the fulfillment of this prophecy as the Jewish people living in the land of Israel are from all the various tribes and we see it again in the scriptures in Revelation chapter 7 where the Lord reveals his plan to raise up a hundred and forty four thousand bond servants from each of the twelve tribes twelve thousand from each of the twelve tribes of Israel now if only Judah 
was part of his plan, then why is it that there's 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes? Okay, now the tribe of Dan was purposely left out of the list and was replaced by the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And the reason is because the Antichrist comes from Dan. Dan turned their backs on God. Dan rejected God's plan for their life. Dan rejected the land that God allotted to them within Israel. But for the other tribes, the 12 tribes, all come together as one. There is no distinction between Judah and the other tribes in the end. And this is the plan of God for the Jewish people. And finally, the fifth lie that Satan likes to tell is that they're not God's people because they're the synagogue of Satan. And they base this claim on the words of Jesus in Revelations chapter 2 and 3 when he was speaking to the churches in Smyrna and the church in Philadelphia. And he was exposing their hypocrisy in claiming to be Jews. He says those who say they're Jews but they're not, they're a synagogue of Satan. Well, you have to look at the context, first of all, who is he talking to? He's speaking to the churches, to the followers of Jesus Christ. He's not speaking to the Jewish people who have rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. He's specifically speaking to Christians, Christians who are spiritual Jews. And he's pointing out that they're disqualified from being spiritual Jews because they're failing to meet the requirements. And this makes sense because if you're a natural Jew, according to the flesh, you can't be disqualified because it was by birth. You're a Jew. You're a Jew by birth. That's a totally different thing. Jesus is talking about spiritual Jews who have to meet requirements, and those requirements are revealed in their deeds. Because the scriptures tell us, and this is a message that is not popular in the church, because it's all about the message that's popular in the church today is all about grace, grace, grace with no accountability for your deeds, but that's not what the Bible talks about. In James chapter 2, it says that we're justified not by faith alone, but by our deeds. So we have to put action to our words. We can't just talk the talk. We have to walk the walk. And that's why James later in chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. If you believe in your heart, you will act accordingly. It won't, it won't be just limited to cheap words, but will be demonstrated so that God can look and see this one is a true disciple. He's a follower because look at how he acts. Look at how he's changed his deeds. And so Jesus was pointing out the hypocrisy of these believers in these churches and saying, you claim to be my followers, but really you're followers of Satan. And this passage has not one thing to do with the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham. So it has nothing to do with disqualifying the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham from being part of God's great plans for these last days. Well, I'm going to stop here because I've already gone way longer than I thought I would on this topic 
And as I mentioned at the beginning, I'm going to do a separate podcast and share some of the scriptural proofs and provide a link to a list of 44 scriptural proofs proving that God is not done with the flesh and blood descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think it's very important that everyone who follows Jesus Christ should know his word on this topic. I think it's very important for his plans for these last days. It's important for being able to spot the lies of the enemy, that we know the scriptures, and as it is written in the word, we understand his plans, his heart for these people, and we're not easily deceived and led astray, so we don't find ourselves taking sides against God's plans. And also so we can see God's great plans, what he is going to be doing in these last days in Israel, and how it can help us to understand his bigger picture plans for his body of believers because we have seen throughout history there are many parallels between the Jewish people and the major events happening in Israel, physical Israel, and the events happening in the church. And I believe it's an important key because there are many scriptures telling us what God's specific plans are for the Jewish people. And by understanding these scriptures, we can understand his plans for the church. And that's ultimately, I think, what we're all interested in is how does this affect our life and our future? And it does. It's very relevant. It's very important. And I'm seeing so many people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ fighting and taking sides against God and against God's plan. There's so much deception. So let's not be part of that. So thanks for joining me today, and I hope to be back again soon with another program. Until then, so long.